Let me pray and then we're going to come to this passage from 1 Corinthians. Lord, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that it is living and active. We thank you, Lord, that you take it and by your spirit you convict us and encourage us and comfort us and grow us in Christ and we pray that you will do that now as we as we consider your word together. Amen. Just lift that up a bit. Is that better? Excellent. Um, if you were to pick up a copy of our CMS prayer diary, which is, uh, which is our, our prayer diary that has all of our missionaries in it, and at the very front it's got a map. <clears throat> and for each country that we have CMS missionaries in, we've coloured it in green. And it looks quite impressive, I've got to say. You know, there's, there's quite a bit of a world that is coloured in green. And... You could think, wow, you know, that, that CMS is really doing a great job. But of course, as I look at that map, I think, you know, um, as impressive as it seems, in some of those countries, there's only, there's only one missionary <laughs> there working. And, uh, sometimes the city that they are in is a city of multiple millions of people. And, you know, as we think about Japan, Japan is an area where we have more missionaries than anywhere else in the world now. Uh, we still only have 16 missionaries working in a country of um, 127 million people. And at times I look at it and can begin to ask myself, oh, what are we really achieving? It all seems at times so small. So little. And that's not just a mission thing, is it? We can feel that locally, can't we, as Christians? We're so small against the pressures of our society. Uh, we can seem so irrelevant in our society. Uh, it seems that our society has left us behind and religion behind and Christianity behind even more. And it's so hard to speak. And the great danger for us as Christians when we're in that sort of situation is that we can long to be bigger and better and we can feel so small and powerless that we want to make the message of Jesus seem more relevant and more attractive to our friends and us seem more important. And that is exactly the issue that these Corinthian Christians were facing. They were looking for ways for them to appear stronger and more wise and more relevant to the society around them. And they were turning from the gospel to other things to attract people. They were looking for teachers who would be more impressive than the Apostle Paul. And so as Paul writes to them, he calls them back. He calls them back to their foundations. He calls them back and he says, look at where the power of God really lies. And he says to them, look, the power of God is seen in the apparent weakness of the cross. And the power of God is seen in the salvation of apparently irrelevant hearers. 
And the power of God is heard through the words of weak messengers. And as we face ourselves the ridicule of our world, the indifference of our world, we need to hear this message and be reminded where the real power lies for us. The power of God, Paul starts out by saying, is seen in the weakness of the cross. Now, our world is not indifferent to being saved and finding salvation. No, they're looking for it, but they're looking in the wrong places. So Paul writes and he says to them, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it's the power of God. That's where true power is found. But our world goes everywhere else looking for hope than that. Because, you know, our world experiences the wet mess of this world just as we do. It experiences the pain and the suffering of this world, but it looks for other things to find hope and life. Now, in Paul's day, that was expressed in religious terms, searching for spiritual power and wisdom. And so he goes on and says, verse 20, Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe, For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. They looked for salvation in in religious terms. As we think about our society, it really looks for it in secular terms, doesn't it? Uh, to find greater prosperity and wealth, to find better health and standards of living, to look for a more fulfilled and and happy life, Uh, greater security perhaps from COVID or guns and bombs and terrorists and (laughs) rain and floods. And it's not surprising really, isn't it, that it's those things that get politicians elected because we're searching for salvation, for life, for happiness. But the reality, of course, is that any solution that those things that politicians promise and all our ads on TV and on our radio and our computers promise us, any solution that they do find, as good as they may be, can never deal with the problem of the human heart. They can't repair our desperately broken relationship with God. They can't put an end to God's anger against the avalanche of human evil in our world and the self-interest that invades our hearts so often and so constantly. Those things, they cannot save people from perishing without God and without hope. 
Only the cross of Jesus has the power to do that, doesn't it? Can you remember when the Lord Jesus opened your eyes to the wonder of the cross for the first time? Now, some of us may have known it just all our lives because we were brought up um, as kids in Christian families. Uh, But I can remember that time when the cross suddenly made sense. The Lord just, it was like God just turned the lights on for me. And I can remember the deep assurance of release and freedom that came when I finally realised that my sins were forgiven, that I was loved and that the Lord had given his son for me. You see, only the message of the cross of Jesus can do that and give us life. And that's why CMS exists because we long for people all around our world, of every different people group in our world and every different language in our world, to be able to hear the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because it's only in the proclamation of Jesus and him crucified that people anywhere can be saved. Jesus and him crucified can seem utterly irrelevant to our society. They think that they were past that. That was a childhood thing. A bit like Father Christmas. And it can seem ridiculous and weak to many people among the nations that we go to. But as Paul says here, to us who have been called, whether here in southeast Queensland or in Muslim Indonesia or in Buddhist Japan or in Eurasia with all its different melting pot. He is the wisdom of God and the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. The gospel is the power of God. But to our world it seems ridiculous and we seem ridiculous, quite honestly, to our world and irrelevant because we are quite simply not that impressive a bunch. (laughs) And so Paul goes on and he says in verse 26, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that it is as it is written, that the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. Quite honestly, as I look at the church sort of now and down the centuries, I've often thought, how in the world has it continued to exist for 2,000 years? It so often seems to be in such a mess in so many different ways. And we just are not that impressive. Uh, when, I was, uh, when I was a minister of a church in Sydney, there were times in my less godly moments when I'd look out at people in the church and think, 
if only there were 10 Billy Grahams sitting in the front row here and just a, a incredibly talented bunch of kids leaders sitting over there. And down the back, well, there were just some really rich Christians who could fund it all. And I'm pretty sure they were looking at me and thinking, oh, Lord, if only you could preach like Tim Keller or John Dixon or something. But that's not the way the Lord works, is it? And the ones he's called are us. Average, unexceptional, often struggling, us. But here is the thing that Paul tells us. As unimpressive as we may seem, God has called us. God has called you. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. In other words, when he looks at you, he sees Jesus. When he accepts you, he accepts you as he accepts his son and loves his son. And because of him, Jesus is our wisdom from God, our righteousness and sanctification and redemption. You see, as we sit here this morning, we are people who have been redeemed, set free, people who have been adopted into our Father's family. And we are people who have been sanctified, set apart for Jesus and for the Lord. Made holy by the blood of Jesus. And we are people who've been made righteous, prepared, ready as a bride for our Lord Jesus Christ. And you see, our very existence says to the world, even if they can't see it, the Lord is powerful to save because he has saved us. Even such insignificant ones as these. You know, when we read our missionaries' prayer letters at times, we may be tempted to think, think, what's the point? What are they really achieving? There's just one of them, and, and in this huge society, and, and that society is never going to change. The church there is never going to be large and successful. But you see, no matter how unimpressive it may look, they are God's redeemed children. And they live and speak and witness there as God's redeemed children. And their very existence says, the Lord is powerful to save. See, God's power, it lies in the apparent foolishness of the gospel message. It is seen in the salvation of irrelevant hearers. And finally, Paul says, it's heard through the words of fearful messengers. And I find this a great encouragement, I've got to say. He goes on and says, verse 1 of chapter 2, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. 
And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstrations of a spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Now, I suspect we are used to thinking of the Apostle Paul as the great apostle to the Gentiles, the founder of the church in the Western world. But he was also a very normal human being. And before he came to Corinth, he had been jailed and flogged in Philippi. He'd had been hounded out of town in Thessalonica and Berea. He'd been sneered at by some of the leading men and women of Athens. And so it's hardly surprising that when he came to Corinth, he came in fear. Because he knew that as soon as he opened his mouth and spoke of Jesus and him crucified, he'd face the same opposition again. And it's fascinating, you know, the Lord knew his fears. If you have a look at Acts chapter 18, which is Luke's story of Paul's time in Corinth, you find there in verse 9, the Lord speaks to him and says to him, don't be afraid, but go on speaking, don't be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you or harm you, for I have many people in this city. You see, it wasn't the power of Paul's personality or the impressiveness of his wisdom that called people to respond to Paul's preaching. He says it was the work of a spirit's power. As he took those words about the crucified Lord Jesus and applied them into people's hearts and brought them to life. And those words through the Spirit brought an eternal change into the lives of those people. How do you usually feel when you have an opportunity to talk about your faith in the Lord Jesus? Frightened? Weak? Irrelevant? Then you're in good company because that is how... Paul felt. Will our words be weak and faltering? Probably. Mine usually are. But you see, the power of God does not depend on the quality of your words and how great a speaker you are. It depends simply on the proclamation of the Lord Jesus Christ and him crucified. There is the power of God. And so when the opportunity comes, then be courageous. Open your mouth because the power does not come from you. It comes from God. I think one of the great privileges of my job is I get to know the missionaries. <laughs> it's really good to, to be able to spend time with them, to hear their stories, to to just uh, have that time. And I have to say, they are a wonderful bunch of people. <laughs> but you know, as wonderful and gifted as they are, they are not superhuman. Ask Rachel, she'll tell you. <laughs> They're just like you and me. And they often know the fear that Paul talks about here. And they surely do know that they don't speak with elegance 
eloquence or superior wisdom. Quite often they're not even sure they're saying what they think they're saying (laughs) as they seek to get language right. Um, I heard recently of a missionary who, when talking to someone and calling them to repentance, actually called them to be bold, like no hair, (laughs) because the words were so similar in their language. The power of God is not found in our eloquence. It's not found in the impressiveness of the preachers. It's not found in the significance of the people who are saved. I've often heard people say we need to go to university campuses to save the leaders of society. That is not why we are there. We are there to save insignificant, irrelevant people with the gospel of Jesus. And we are not there to change society. We are there to save people for a new society found only in heaven. And the power of God lies in the apparent weakness of our message of the cross. It's seen in the salvation of weak hearers and it's affected through the proclamation of weak messengers. So as you face the indifference of your society, as you perhaps feel just so, I'm the only one in my workplace who's a Christian or in my family or amongst my friends, remember that the power of God lies in you. And as you pray and remember for missionaries you support and for Christian brothers and sisters as they work, lift your eyes and remember where the true power lies and press on knowing that God's power is made perfect in your weakness. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you for the power of the cross. We thank you, Lord, for the way in which we have experienced that and known the freedom and the salvation and the life and the forgiveness and the love that has flowed to us through Jesus, through his death for us, so that we come to you this morning as beloved, forgiven children. We praise and thank you, Lord, for the wonder of it. And Lord, we long that many, many, many others might know you too and know that forgiveness and freedom. And so we pray that we might remember where the true power lies. And that in those times when we have the opportunity and we feel weak and we don't know what to say, Lord, give us, wisdom, give us courage to speak just simply of Jesus and know that in that moment your power is being heard in the witness of the cross. Amen.